Hey guys, happy Sunday. It's funny, I was, um, I remember, I, I feel like every time I've come up here to preach, I always mention how like, there's always something going on. Like the very first time I came here, it was Casey's graduation, then it was Casey's birthday. And uh, this week, we also have a lot of things going on. Like, uh, we have some sad things, like tomorrow, Beatrice is going to Vietnam. We have some crazy things, like happy things, like tomorrow is Tasha's birthday. The day after that, it's Sophia's birthday. But um, best of all, today, we had Ray play bass. That was the best of all. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> um, so for those of you guys who may not know me, my name is Kevin Jung. I'm one of the pastors here at TLC. Um, happy Lord's Day. We're glad to have you here. And we've been going through the book of First Peter. And so today we'll be looking at First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 to 19. Go ahead and read it out loud for us. Dear friends, do not be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this Sunday to be mastered by your word, to examine who you are, Lord the author, the originator, the one who living water flows from. I pray, Lord, as we look at First Peter, as we look at what it means to suffer as a Christian, that you may help us have hope in something sure. Help us to see suffering as a means for us to become more like you, to fall deeper in love with you. And so as I preach, Lord, I pray that... Um, your word may not return void, but it may encourage, convict, grow, and that you may be displayed, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So after the death of his dad and his friend, Mike Posner, a pop star singer, expressed his grief in the song Drip, where he writes, I worked the last 10 years. I'm a multimillionaire. I'm 30 years old. It's supposed to be all good. It's not freaking good. And so in response to his deep suffering, Mike Posner decides that he's going to go ahead and walk across all of America. And he does. He goes to Arizona. He gets bit by a rattlesnake. gets better. just keeps going. And after the end of his trip, there was no answer. There was no answer to his suffering. No conclusion. No purpose. 
And so he does the next thing, which is to climb Mount Everest. He decides, you know what, I'm going to climb Mount Everest, and from this I'll be able to find the reason for my suffering. And he does so. He completes it. At the end, it's still lacking. It's not enough. He doesn't feel fulfilled. And in a way, we can all relate to this. We like to tunnel vision with what's right in front of us. We think that if we just get across the next thing, we'll be happy. That'll be enough. If we get a home, if we get a good job, if we finish grad school, then that will give us purpose. We'll feel better. If we get to the next tax bracket, then somehow things are going to be okay. We keep setting goals thinking that that's going to fulfill us. That's going to give us meaning. Somehow suffering is going to be okay. But it's never enough. And so, church, when you delight in something good that happens to your life, when you reach your goals, what's the point? When you go through tragedies, sufferings, when someone dies in your life, what's the point? The reason why Mike Posner couldn't find meaning in his travels was because he was trying to find meaning and suffering within himself. But as Christians, we know that the answer of suffering isn't within yourself. It's within scriptures. It's within God. And so there's a truth here that we can't afford to forget. That is essential for us to know today. And it's that you need to know where you're going in order to make sense of the why the suffering now matters. Because where we're headed puts purpose inside of our present. Let me say that again. You need to know where you're going in order to make sense of why the suffering now matters. Because where we're headed puts meaning and purpose inside of our present. Just think about it. Why were the early Christians willing to sell all their possessions for the church? That's their livelihood. That's their life. Why were the early Protestants willing to die and be burned by the stake? That's giving up everything. It's because they knew where they were going. And they genuinely, genuinely believed it. They had faith. They knew that there was more to come after life. And in today's message, we see this reality play out. So chapter 4 is kind of like the crescendo, the climax of 1 Peter's message. And throughout the letter, Peter's been answering the question of why do Christians suffer? And how should Christians in the midst of suffering respond? And through Tony's sermons the last couple weeks, we saw that Peter argues that we're able to suffer because we have confidence in the living hope and inheritance that we have in Christ. We have our eyes on eternity. We know that there's more than to this uh, 50, 60 years. And what's our goal? It's not just to survive persecution. It's not just to go through hardship for the sake of going through hardship. It's that we are able to turn hardship into a witness. We're able to create fruits of godliness. Suffering means something different for us. In Peter 2:12, he writes, "Live such good lives among the pagans." That though they accuse you of being or doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And in these final sections, Peter's going to give us appropriate responses to suffering. And so today, our sermon in a sentence is, Becoming like Christ means suffering like Christ. Pretty simple. Becoming like Christ means suffering like Christ. And we have two points for us today. Number one, suffer like Christ today. And point two, suffer like Christ tomorrow. Very simple to remember. Suffer like Christ today. 
suffer like Christ tomorrow. And so point one, suffer like Christ today. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 16. Let me go ahead and reread that out loud for us. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. If you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. So here, Peter's words accurately describe the experience of countless saints, countless Christians across church history. And if we take our uh, faith seriously today, it describes our experiences as well. If you look at verse 12, Peter writes that Christians are going to go through a fiery ordeal. That means that we are going to suffer. That's not surprising to us. We're going to be persecuted. And we know this because Jesus says exactly the same thing. He says that the world hated me, therefore the world would also hate you. If we're to be like Christ, it's not surprising that those who hated Christ will also hate us. But keep in mind, Peter uses the words fiery ordeal here strategically. So what he's saying that in a weird Christian way, the sufferings that you go through is meant to better you. So the deaths in your life, the persecution or the ridicule you receive for being a Christian, like these things are to refine you. As Christians, they are to make you more like Christ. They're not to cripple you. They're here to test you. And even more than this, Peter writes that we ought to rejoice in our sufferings. Not just to survive persecution, not just survive and just batter through suffering, but we are to rejoice in them and turn them towards godliness. And again, we see this in verses 13 and 14, where Peter writes, suffering for Christians does two things. Number one, it creates great joy when his glory is revealed. And number two, the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And again, it seems like based on Peter's language, suffering means that we are to become more like Christ. And you might be thinking, Kevin, like, how does that work? Just because we see it coming and we expect it doesn't somehow create great joy in us, right? Like, if I told Huang, like, hey, Huang, I'm going to slap you. Like, you know it's coming. I'm going to go ahead and slap you. And I slap him. It's not like he's going to look at me and be like, yep, that, I felt joy. That was great. Like, that's not how it works. So how does suffering as a Christian create great joy within us? Well, we have to go in and look at previous Christians who suffered in Christ. So there's two I want to look at today. First is Shet Bitterman. Let me say his name again, Shet Bitterman. And Shet Bitterman was a Bible translator. And in January 19, 1981, a group of terrorists called M19 broke into the SIL organization. And so what the SIL organization does is they translate the Bible into other languages. So for people groups who may not have the Bible in their original language, the SIL organization gathers people together and tries to make a Bible that is accurate and matches their original language. And so in Colombia, one of the head Bible translators, Shet Bitterman, was kidnapped by a group of terrorists. And the message was, unless you and the organization leave by 6 p.m. on February 19th, we're going to go ahead and execute Shet Bitterman. And Shet Bitterman didn't budge. 
Neither did the organization. And so the wife and her two young children, Brenda Bitterman, waited 48 days until March 7th, where Shet was shot, left on the bus. And afterwards, the organization said, you know, if you guys want to leave Colombia, you guys can. Any of you guys wants to leave Colombia, you're free to do so. Nobody left. They all stayed. Not only that, 200 other people around the world volunteered to take Shet Bitterman's place. And so we have to ask the question, right? Like, why is Shet willing to die for the gospel? Why were 200 people willing to come in and take his place, knowing that they could be shot for what they're doing? It's probably because of the same reason as our second person, Polycarp. So Polycarp is a little bit further back. He lived in 160 AD. He was about 86 years old, and he was living at like the height of Christian persecution. Basically means in Rome, if you don't denounce your faith, if you don't pledge allegiance to Caesar, then they're going to go ahead and kill you. And so Polycarp was 86 when he was finally caught by the Roman officials. And when the Roman officials found him, you know, you don't really want to kill an 86-year-old man. And so the head official was saying like, hey, like, just swear by Caesar. Just compromise a little bit. It's not too bad. Like, no one would know. Just compromise a little bit. And in response, Polycarp said, 86 years I have served him, and he never failed me once. How could I blaspheme now my king who saved me? And as a result, he was burned and stabbed. And so church history is filled with people like this, people who actually took their faith seriously, who bled, were persecuted, suffered, gave up everything, and was willing to die for Christ. And so in this chapter, Peter tells us to expect suffering, that there will come fiery ordeals. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised because Jesus said to take up your cross. And so for a first century audience, to take up your cross isn't something like romanticized or something that um, is hopeful or things like that. I know when we look at the cross today, we think Christianity, we think hope, we think peace. But for the first century audience, the cross meant torture. It meant death. And so taking up your cross wouldn't have to be just dealing with a noxious roommate or like dealing with an um, annoying friend or like having a sprained ankle. Taking up the cross means you're on your way to die. And so when a Christian takes up the cross, they come to the end of themselves, no matter how costly it might be to follow Jesus. They're willing to die because they're living for something bigger. But that's the key, right? We suffer, we sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. Luke 9, Jesus says, For whoever shall save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And I'm not saying that we have to all like rush in to be martyrs or that we all have to look for opportunities to suffer. If you're a Christian, then that's just going to happen naturally. You're going to suffer for your faith. Christianity is not masochistic. Like, we're not looking for suffering. We never, never, never suffer for the sake of suffering. We always give up and rejoice in our sufferings for our faith because we're trying to grab hold of something better, trying to hold Christ. And so the question for us here today in First Peter is, Church, are you able to suffer for Jesus? You know it's coming. Are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Not only that, better yet, are you able to die for Jesus? 
And that question just puts a lot of things into perspective, right? Like, are you willing to take up the cross? Are you willing to take your faith to its natural conclusion and die for Christ? Because if you're willing to say that you can die for Christ, then you can read your Bible. You can pray. You can love the person next to you. You can share your faith with your friend at work. If you're willing to die for Christ, if you think what he has said was true, that we are sinners, that he died on the cross for our sins and he was resurrected, if we believe what he said is true and we're willing to die for him, then we can suffer. We can do these things. And again, this doesn't mean that suffering for Jesus only means getting martyred and dying. Being persecuted for Jesus means being slandered for your faith. It means when it's awkward, still being willing to say what is correct, what is true. Being still willing to say that you're a Christian. It means being willing to live out your faith despite people mocking you. But willing to die for someone, when you're able to get to a point when you could say you could die for Jesus, it means that all of a sudden that takes central hold of your life. Everything else, friends, your reputation, like your job, school, all of that is suddenly secondary. It takes a step back because your life is no longer your own. It's for Christ. And so we suffer like Christ today so that we can be like Christ today. Say that again. We suffer like Christ today so that we can be like Christ today. Um, so when I was preaching this in the youth group, um, I was inspired by something that I heard Tony did a couple years back, um, like way, way back, like maybe 20 years back. And like, I loved it. I, I know I probably can't do it today. But apparently what Tony did is uh, one day in his old church, he like showed up disheveled and like dirty. And like he walked to his youth group. And, um, you know, everyone's kind of like, who is this guy? Like, is that really Tony? Like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, like Tony's like acting like, you know, he's like, there's something wrong with him. Apparently, he, like, took out a weapon, and he looks at all his youth group, and he says, are you willing to denounce your faith? If you don't, then I'm going to, like, hurt you or something. Now, obviously, you can't do that today. You know, like, I, I don't think that'll fly really well. I'll get fired really quick. Um, but the point still stands, right? The point still stands is that when, you, when it comes down to it, like, I don't mean this in a romanticized way. I mean, literally, if you were at the point of death, can you confidently say you're willing to die for Christ? You can give up everything. And again, this doesn't mean suffering for any reason. It means specifically suffering for your faith. Not because, like, you got to jail because you've, like, killed somebody. And that doesn't bring any glory to God. And Peter kind of specifies this in verses 15 and 16, where he says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. And having that name. That's true. Sometimes we bring suffering on ourselves rightly or wrongly. We murder, we steal, we meddle, and we receive suffering. And sometimes we look at God and we say, God, how could you have let this happen to us? But we, su- we have to suffer for the content of our faith, not because of the bad translations or the bad expressions we have of our faith. Um, a good illustration for this is, so during Thanksgiving, I went to go get dinner with Casey's family. We went to her uh, mom's mom's side. And, um, you know, her aunts, they're all trying to get to know me better. They're asking me, oh, you're Korean, okay. And one of her aunts looked at me and said, hey, um, I love Korean dramas. I was like, oh, cool, me too. And she looked at me and she was like, yeah, but I listen to them all dubbed. 
And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Korean dramas dubbed in Vietnamese? How's that like? She looked at me and she was like, yeah, it's crazy. They have one person doing the entire dub. <laughs> like, that's insane. So you have one person pretending to be the crowd, right? Like, oh, you got this. Don't worry. Yeah. You have one person pretending to be the guy and the girl. You have one person pretending to be the old man and the young man, everything. And it just hit me at that moment. Like, you know, if this drama was bad, it's probably not because of the drama. It's probably because they had one person translating the entire thing. And in the same way, when you're suffering, make sure you're suffering for the contents of your faith, not because of how you've translated incorrectly. That it's because of your love for Christ. You're suffering because of who you are as Christians, not because of your love for gossip, slander, meddling. Okay, point two. Point two. We suffer like Christ for tomorrow. Again, we suffer like Christ for tomorrow. It's going to read verses 17 to the end of 19. For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, then what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. So in the previous verses, we see Peter saying that we need to expect persecution. Not only that, we expect suffering and we thrive in it. We become godlier through it. We see that God is in charge of our sufferings. Even though Satan might be the immediate cause, God is still in control of all things. And we trust in a God who is good. That he does things with purpose. And here it seems like Peter is saying that God's judgment is making its way through the earth. And the church does not escape. John Piper put it best when he looked at this verse and he said, When the fire of judgment and suffering burns the church, it is a testing, proving, purifying fire. Meaning that again, when you go through sufferings, when you go through obstacles, there's purpose behind it. We know that there's a God. We know this is not it. We believe in Revelations 21.4, where there'll come a day where there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, that one day God will reign, uh, reign with us, he will be with us, that there is an eternity. But when it burns the world, it either awakens or destroys them. And this is not true. When non-Christians undergo suffering, it destroys them because they don't have a language to comprehend suffering. There's no purpose to it. But Christians have a different language when it has to do with suffering, when it has to do with trials, when it has to do with persecution. And it's that it has hope. We have hope. We see that suffering always has a purpose. And this was true for Augustine's mother. So Augustine was, again, another um, great father of the faith. He lived way, way back in the past. But when he was a teen, he wasn't a Christian. And he lived in Rome, or he was going to Rome. And... um, His mom was a devout believer, and his mom went to the church, and Augustine kind of recounts that his mom had two prayers. Number one, um, Father, please let my son be a Christian. Please let my son get to know you. Please let him be saved. And the second prayer was, please don't let him out of my sight. Please let him be with me. And uh, again, Augustine recounts that 
ironically, she was praying this prayer as Augustine was running away from his mom and going to Rome without telling anybody. And so in his memoir, Augustine writes, God didn't answer her second prayer, but God answered her first prayer. He became saved in Rome. And so the suffering that Monica, Augustine's mom, went through had a purpose. It was for Augustine to meet him. And so as Christians at TLC, how do we entrust ourselves to God in the midst of our suffering? Like, how do we entrust ourselves to a faithful creator? Um, And there's three ways. Three ways. First, we allow other Christians into our suffering. Again, we allow other Christians into our suffering. So what I love about our small groups is that it creates a space where people can be vulnerable, people can share, people can be honest with their pains and struggles. And when we're being honest and sharing our problems, our difficulties, we're not just sharing our thoughts and our tears. We're sharing the reminder of the bitterness of sin. That life sucks. Like, sin is still here. That there are things that are happening in this world that are not normal. Like, it's not normal to have parents divorce. It's not normal to have to go to your friend's funeral. It's not normal that these things happen. But as Christians, we could come together and remind ourselves of the hope that's going to become. That we have something beautiful to look forward to. Um, so I always wanted to do this, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. So pastor's confession. I always see Tony do this. I just want to go ahead and throw it in once. Um, I remember thinking, like, during one of Tony's parties a couple weeks back, um, I was thinking about leaving early because I was feeling kind of down. Um, and a couple people came, convinced me to stay longer, right? And so as I stayed longer, I realized that when you're sad and you're at a party and it's really late, you tend to drink more. Um, and so while I didn't drink to the point of getting drunk, like I didn't get hung over, um, I was worried, I was convicted because I saw that I was looking for another substance to handle me being sad. And so the next day, I was able to kind of share this with my small group. They were able to walk with me through it. I was able to talk to um, one of my church brothers, and he was able to kind of put together a plan with me. And so there's a lot of, like, beauties that come from you sharing your struggles with your small group. Not only do you have godly counsel, but you have people who you can confess with, walk with you, and um, pray with you. All right, number two. Number two. If number one is you're allowing Christians into your suffering, number two, you're allowing non-Christians into your suffering. And when you talk to non-Christians about your suffering, you don't need to change your language. Like, when you talk to your non-Christian friends, you can still say the same things you say to your Christian friends. I mean, you need to obviously de-Christianize your language a bit, say things that they can understand. But if you're struggling for faith, say that you're struggling in your faith. If you're finding comfort in God, say that you're finding comfort in God. Your answer to the question, how are you doing, should still be the same, regardless of whether you're talking to Christians or non-Christians. And that's because it's a beautiful opportunity for you to, one, share the gospel, but two, share how sufferings looks different for Christians. We see it differently. We see it with the language of hope. Um, so, good illustration for this. Um, about a couple years back, I had one of my friends who I grew up with. His name was Brian. Uh, he passed away from a motorcycle accident. And um, I think right after he passed away, I had people that I've like not talked to in years suddenly just call me up and ask me how I'm doing. And um, one of those friends I was able to sit down with, get lunch, 
And he asked me, like, hey, Kevin, like, what do you think happened? Like, where do you think he's at? I was able to share the gospel with him. I was able to share with him how I felt about death, that it sucks, that there is still grief and mourning, but there's hope. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden we don't grieve in death, we don't grieve in suffering, that we just move on immediately, but we have hope. There's a purpose to it. And um, again, it doesn't mean that I've worked out my grief. Um, I still haven't gotten a chance to visit his grave. I think like every time I tell myself I'm going to go visit it, I just like walk around it a couple times, drive around it a couple times, and I just go home. Um, but we know that there is hope. And we know that there is something coming. And that, again, there will be peace. There will be fulfillment. Last point, last point. If number one, you allow Christians into your suffering. Number two, you allow non-Christians into your suffering. Lastly, three, you find contentment with God. As Christians, we recognize that things in your life are going to come and go. Like you think college is everything until you get to grad school or you go for a job and you realize no one cares about your SAT scores. No one cares about where you went for your undergrad. Nobody asks you anymore. Um, You think that's the next thing is the best thing until you realize that passes as you get older. These things aren't worth banking our joy on. People are going to love you one day and hate you the next. And so we find our foundation in Christ. We find our contentment in Christ. So that even if the world is crashing down on us, we still have something to hold on to. Um, Let me go and close out with an illustration. So there's a story of two men. Two men. First is Anthony, and the second is Didymus. All right, Anthony and Didymus. And so Didymus is blind. And Anthony is turning to Didymus, and he's saying, like, aren't you sad? Aren't you discontent? You're blind. And Didymus says, I am. But should you be troubled by what the flies and the dogs have and not rather rejoice and be thankful for what we have in the image of Christ? God has given you these good things that make humans glorious. Is that not enough for you, though you lack what a fly has? And so a Christian should reason the case with himself. What am I discontented for? Why am I so sad on my sufferings for? I'm discontented for what a dog has instead of being rejoice, or rejoicing for what we have through Christ. It may be that you do not have the great blessings in earthly places as some other people do, but if the Lord has blessed you in the heavenly places, is that not enough? So what has your suffering recently robbed you of? The last time you suffered for Christ, last time you suffered, what has that robbed you of? Did it rob you of comfort, companionship, rest, relief, peace, health, whatever you thirst, Jesus says, come to him, see him for who he truly is, and if we trust in him, we will not only drink and be satisfied, but we'll also find streams of living water. And so when we're faced with the reality of suffering, how do we entrust ourselves to God? We pray what the psalmist in Psalms 90 says. He satisfies us in the morning with his steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. We find contentment in Christ, that though 70 years may pass, people may leave us, we may die alone, we have an eternity to look forward to. And then we wait, knowing that none who wait on God shall be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, pray, Lord, that we may cling onto you today, that we may cling into the gospel Where would we be without your death and resurrection? Where would we be 
without your sacrifice for us, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that as we undergo suffering for you, as we go under, uh, we undergo suffering on this earth, we may see that these things are done with a purpose, Lord. That this temporal world is not just it. Things will go and pass, whether it's our health, our job, our troubles will come and go. But you never change, Lord. That there is an eternity after this, and it's foolish for us to be so focused on something that lasts maybe a couple decades and ignore the beauty that comes afterwards, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that we may cling on to you, we may find the strength to persevere, that we may find the uh, strength to grow in our sufferings, that we can love in a deeper and more meaningful way, knowing that you have died for us so that we can die for you, Lord. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to be going into a time of response through offering and through praise. And as we sing the song, Really reflect on yourself and where you are at and how you have been suffering for the Lord. Think about maybe work's been overwhelming. Maybe at home it's been tough. Maybe there's something that's burdening you, frustrating you. As we reflect on that, really come to a place where you can come to the Lord and offered up to him, knowing that he suffered on the cross so that we can live. And that this life as a Christian is beautiful, that we are going to go through all this, but in the end, that there's hope. That Jesus is our cornerstone. And that we give it all to Christ alone. So when you guys are ready, you know, feel free to stand up and just respond and do the songs. Or if you want to just sit down and continue to pray and meditate on what you've heard today, just respond to the Lord. built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name.
in Christ alone, that throughout everything, God, that we go through, Lord, may we um, be able to look to Christ and what he has done on that cross and died for us so that we can live for him and also die for him. So I pray, Lord, may we be able to suffer today and tomorrow, to be able to share in that suffering, God, with the people around us, Lord. That we can walk this walk towards you. And to be able to share just this wonderful love of Jesus to the people around us. So God, I thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. All right. Welcome, welcome, TLC. It's good to see you guys. Happy Sunday. I got a couple of things before I uh, give out the announcement, just for posterity's sake and because I know this is recorded. Um, Kevin's allusion to my story, it was a well-crafted, architected 
uh, situation. The kid was not hurt when I shot him, and everything was good. And it happened 20 years ago. All right, just in case. All right, next thing. All right. Prayer night, Thursday, this coming Thursday, 7.30 p.m. in the youth trailer. Okay, so, you know, um, we need to pray together as a church. I mean, this is a, this is a very normal, natural thing to do. If you're a Christian, you should be praying. Uh, prayer is uh, it's, it's the way in which we gather our hearts together, we seek the Lord together, and uh, we cry out together in the community. So Thursday, 7.30 in the youth room, come out. Uh, this is first Thursday of the month. We always pray. Leaders, uh, if you're a leader, come on and pray. Pray for your people at the end of the year. Pray for them as the coming year begins. But uh, come on and pray for your people. All right, next. Uh, health fair uh, at the Christmas outreach. So Miss Cat uh, and John, sorry, they, they gave me a thing to say for you guys. Uh, okay, so December 4th, the, the outreach, we will have pre-filled forms from the at-risk youth and need help shopping at the Target near church. We'll assign one or two students per volunteer. So pretty much what's going on December 4th, which is this coming week, Friday, I think. Right, uh, there's a bunch of kids at, at, at risk kids over in Orange uh, Junior High over here. We have all their names already. The, the, the teachers and the principals has given us all their names. And all they've asked is that we as a community come together and we create for them these uh, baskets and these, um, these things for these kids. So each volunteer will be given one or two students to shop for. You'll be given the finances. You just have to go and do it. And you can add it whatever extra you want to, grab a basket, and then we just go and we give it out to them. Uh, on the 18th, December 18th, we will distribute the baskets at church, and we need help with the following stations. Snack station, distribution station, prayer evangelism station, and check-in station. So this is a Christmas outreach. We really want to help out our community around us. You know, the, the goal here is ever, if ever we move from this uh, facility, we want to make sure that the people around us will miss us. Right, that they they may not agree with anything we did, or they may not have showed up to our, our our service, but they will miss having our presence. So that's uh, that's what we've been doing out for the Orange View Junior High. So if you are free, please make your time available for that. December fourth, we need shoppers. If you guys are big shoppers, we're going to Target, ladies. I know you like it, right? So we're going to Target. So go out there, right? December eighth, I say that because my wife loves Target. I don't know, right? Uh, December eighteenth, we will distribute these things. So we just need people to come help out and volunteer at those stations. So come out. There's a QR code available, so check out that, and uh, we just need sign-ups, okay? All right, next, our salt page. Okay, so I will, if you are a salt leader, I will be adding you to the salt page this week, okay? Now, when I add you, please do not block me. Please do not uh, decline it. Please, do not. It's a salt page for our whole entire church. Uh, our, we, we finally got our VM in our church to um, decide and hang into this idea that, you know what, we need to have mentors, discipleship, and our VM has been putting it together. And we have this huge salt page that we are going to kind of put together for the whole entire church. All salt leaders are there. That salt page is for what? It's for resources. It's for encouragement. It's for help. It's for questions. Anything you need is in that salt page. So when I add you, please don't decline, but come in. And when you come in, we would love it for you to add a picture of your whole salt family, right? Whoever it is that you saw, whoever it is that you lead, uh, please put that in there. So don't decline, don't block, uh, check your Facebook Messenger notifications this week for that. Thank you. And next, 
please move your car uh, before 2 p.m. Gates will close. We are actually, the, the men of our church are leaving for their uh, men's retreat this coming Friday. It's on our men's page. We've been asking you guys to register. If you have not registered, please register soon so we know how much food to buy. Okay? Uh, it's a camping trip. It's down in San Clemente. If you would like to go and you're not part of our men's group page, come talk to me directly. I will sign you up myself. Uh, but we need you guys to sign up so that we know exactly what to do. It's a beach camp. It's going to be real fun. Uh, our focus this time for our men's group retreat, if you guys are uh, going to be praying for us, is going to be prayer. We're going to be focusing on prayer. I'm going to teach our, our guys uh, different ways to pray and how to really seek the Lord in that area. All right? Okay. So sign up, come out, and be a part of that. Okay? Would you all rise for me? We're going to end our uh, our service reading the, the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is it's a creed to sum up give the summation of what we believe in as a church, okay? And they've been doing this for generations, so we will just echo this as we read and share the Apostles' Creed in one voice. Ready? Go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Would you bow your heads? Would you place your hand down as a posture of receiving? May bless you. May the Father who gave us his Son May the Son who gave us his life, may the Holy Spirit who now dwells in us, gives us the strength, the conviction, and the power to go forth and live a life worthy of the name of Christ that is on your heart. May you live like Christ today and live like Christ tomorrow. Go in peace, church. We love you. Amen.